So welcome to Take Back Our Schools. We're going to talk about hopefully taking back our schools and maybe more than that. Uh, I'm Andrew Gutman. I was six months ago just a dad in New York City. Uh, my daughter went to a prestigious K-12 all-girls private school that had, for lack of a better word, gone fully woke and adopted what we now call CRT. And I wrote a letter to all of the parents of the school to basically uh, get them to try to speak up about what was going on with the school. And that letter went viral unexpectedly. And I became sort of an accidental activist, uh, one of now many on these education CRT related issues. So, Bethany, I think viewers might know you more, but go ahead. Yeah. So my name is Bethany Mandel and I am a writer and um, on on lots of different issues, but education is definitely one of the ones that I try to focus on because I uh, have five children and education is, you know, sort of what we're doing these days in our house. Uh, I first heard about your letter um, because my phone blew up and several people texted it to me and said, "Um, have you seen this? And then about an hour later, Barry Weiss got the exclusive. Is that right? And she put it on her blog first. When no, actually, I, she contacted me, and oh, okay. I so I sent I mailed the letter. I mailed the letter on a Wednesday. It's almost exactly six months to the day, and I got a call around one o'clock in the afternoon on a Friday uh, from a first grade parent saying, "Hey, I got your letter. Talked to her for a while," and then I got another call. Uh, from a mom in my daughter's grade, talked to her for a while. And then I checked my email and Barry Weiss had emailed me and said, you call me, text me. You've got to contact me. I've got to get this up. Right. And so this, so I finally did, I called her and then I started to get other calls. And so then she posted it and I had no idea it would go viral. I, I, and the next five days were absolutely a blur. The media attention I had, every show on Fox calling me to be on. And I sort of avoided TV for the first couple of weeks, partly on Barry's advice. Um, Reporters showing up at my door. We were a little bit concerned about kind of safety issues the first couple of days. Got a couple of strange... You You were on the cover of the New York Post, right? I was on the cover of the New York Post. So I didn't know I was going to be on the cover. Actually, that's kind of a funny story, which was... They, you know, I, I debated whether to do any media and, you know, I knew the New York Post would be friendly, but I, I never had any experience doing this kind of stuff before. And so, you know, I, I agreed to do, uh, to, to interview with them and have a, have a photographer come. And then they said it would be in Sunday's paper. Uh, so oh, I think I talked the... to them on Saturday and my dad calls me Sunday morning at like eight o'clock in the morning. And, and we literally had not slept, but you know, this is now 48 hours or so into this or something like that. And he calls me and said, you know, I got the post this morning and I said, Oh, am I in it? I had no idea. He said, yeah, you're on the cover. <laughs> and I, I had, so I, they never told me I was going to be on the cover of that. They uh, often do. They do that. I, so I write for the post fairly frequently and I've had, I think two covers and they don't tell you. And then yeah. you're like, Oh, hmm. That's yeah. cool. That's, you know, maybe I guess it was mentioning. cool. I don't know. I was actually kind of happy. We, we had left what, what I, we may or may not be temporarily have left Manhattan to, to New Jersey. And it was, I was sort of happy that I wasn't in the city that day and the next so few days. What was the feedback like from other parents at your kid's school? Or do you feel comfortable saying which school it was? I mean, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Oh, right? yeah no, it's public. I'm the Brearley dad. I mean, that's right. sort okay. of my moniker now. Yeah. So it was Brearley <laughs> school, uh, all girls K through 12 in Manhattan. I almost went there. Did you really? Yeah. Yeah. So, okay. yeah. So my, um, my mom died when I was 16, uh, during my junior year of high school. And I moved in with my aunt in New York city, my senior year. And, um, 
and we were going to, you know, go to Brearley and then she had connections there or whatever. And I, I had a good sob story. I'm like orphan, whatever, yada, yada. Right. Um, but I was able to get into a, a public, um, for free and it was a good public. <laughs> it was a charter. And so, I mean, we employed the same sob story there. So, um, had I not, had I not gotten into this public, I would have gone to Brearley. So, That's funny. It used yeah. to be a good school. It was. I mean, it's sort of, yeah. it, 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 I mean, it, it, sort of 140 year, I think it's been around and sort of considered, you know, probably the best old girls school in New York city. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. but it went off the rails. Um, well, so what was the reaction of the parents? It was mixed. It was clearly polarizing. We got a lot of private support, mm-hmm. but as you know, and sort of everybody in this world now knows parents are absolutely terrified, especially yeah. in New York city of speaking up on these issues. Uh, and so, the school didn't like it, obviously. Right. So what were people afraid of if they publicly supported you? So you, I guess you, when you dropped that bomb, you were like, Obama, you drop the mic and then you walk away yeah. and you're, you're yeah. done with Brearley. But what about the parents who might not have wanted to be done with Brearley, but wanted to support you? What would have happened to them? Well, I think they were afraid of a number of things. And what, you know, the, the whole cancel culture. So they're afraid mm-hmm. of losing their job. They're afraid of losing their, you know, their, their social network. They're yeah. getting kicked off of, of other boards, the social circle. And they're, they're definitely afraid also of getting kicked out of the school. Because what wow. is happening now, and I know families, parents now fighting these issues in almost every private school in Manhattan and a lot of private schools outside of Manhattan because these issues are everywhere. And what the schools are doing to silencing parents, private schools, is terrifying because, you know, the way they write the enrollment contracts is they can kick your family out, kick your kid out for any reasons whatsoever. And so they are really putting the pressure on to try to silence families that are speaking out. So you have some families starting to leave. And I think that'll happen more and more and more people are clearly recognizing what is going on. And really, everybody knew what was going on because we had to take anti mandatory anti-racism training for parents. And this oh is how God. far. I've, oh, yeah. So the two things that we had to do, this is why a lot of people have said, I only found out about this, you know, by by hearing my kids Zoom class because they were online, you know, during COVID. But for really two things that we had to do, one was to sign a pledge a community agreement saying that we would not only support the what they call the anti-racism initiatives in the school, but we would help teach this in the home. So wow. this we were supposed to have signed by the first day of school uh, the previous year, uh, which we refused to sign. And that, that's another kind of thing. We, we pushed back on that and they said, okay, finally, you don't have to sign. Um, you'll have to do the two mandatory anti-racism sessions for parents. So there is no excuse for parents not knowing what was going on at Brearley, you know, different from a lot of other schools. Right. Where it wasn't as, and they're not transparent about the curriculum, clearly. Uh, but we knew that this was instituted in schools because we had to do these mandatory sessions. Right, right. Crazy. So what happened in the mandatory session? So for, let, hold on, before I ask that question, yeah. I want to just clarify. So is this anti-racism stuff, would you quantify it as CRT? This is now exactly what we call CRT. Okay. And so, so what well, is... I didn't use the term CRT in the letter. I don't think anyone really knew the term unless you really were okay. you know, the Chris Rufo types of knowing right. this. No, this, and this so wasn't... first of all, what is CRT for our listeners who might not be familiar? Well, this give is a succinct definition. The succinct definition. That's the hard part because it's hard yeah. to define. I mean, what this has come for better or for worse, what this has come to mean, I think is, is, is sort of this upset, what I call this obsession with race, you know, in the schools. This is the victim, you know, the, the oppressor oppressed dichotomy. This is the adoption of the 1619 project 
Um, but it, but it really goes beyond that. I mean, it goes into the gender, to the trans stuff, to the age inappropriate sexuality. So it really isn't just race. Um, but this is why, you know, this is one of the reasons why, you know, it's been hard for, you know, the, the folks on our side sort of fighting this is because, um, you know, you have these arguments over definition and what the other side, and we'll, I'm sure we'll get into this and, and we'll talk about the NSBA letter, you know, what, what the other side is saying, no, CRT is just some esoteric, uh, you know, academic study and only taught in, in law schools, um, which is where it's it originated. critical race theory. Critical race theory, right. But what this has come to mean in K through 12s, everywhere, because this is now in K through 12s everywhere, is, you know, this, what I call this obsession with race. And, and right. we saw this in so many different, you know, so many different ways. So, Brearley, how much were you paying for Brearley? 50, I think the last year was like $54,000. I think it's now $57,000. So, so you're paying to have listeners. your kids indoctrinated. Right. Yeah. So now our listeners know why I went to public instead of rarely when. But it was less. And you know what it was then? Do you remember? Yeah. Or do it you was. Know? I mean, it was more than college tuition. I remember that. Okay. Because I looked it up and I was like, because my aunt, my aunt gave me uh, sort of a choice. I had a really super doper small trust fund of like maybe sixty five thousand dollars, and she was like, "We can use it for tuition, but it's high school." And I was like, well, "Why would I spend?" It? why would I blow half my load on one year of high school when this yeah. is supposed to last me for college? So, I, I mean, I remember being, you know, probably around half of my, my trust fund, which was, you know, in the third, in the sixties. Yeah. Um, so w- what I find hysterical about all of this is there's, you know, all of this conversation about, um, about oppressor and oppressed. Meanwhile, it's these folks who are paying $60,000 who are doing it. Yeah, I mean, I've I've told the story, which is, you know, when we went through the admissions process, which which I think is the worst thing about, at least it was about, you know, raising a family in Manhattan, is is this incredibly stressful process where you know we we applied to twelve schools because we were at a small uh, nursery school in Midtown Manhattan, not what what is known as sort of a feeder school to these K through twelves, and as a you know middle class for New York City. Uh, you know, white Jewish family, not connected, didn't know any board members, um, you know, not billionaires. Uh, we, w- we were definitely not the oppressors in this <laughs> sort of K through 12 application process. Um, and then, you know, to be labeled that later. The New York City school system, I, I think it's like the subject of so many books. Like it is the craziest thing you can possibly imagine. One, one of, um, I think you know her, Carol Markowitz. Yeah, sure. Do you know Carol? So she um, she moved to Florida recently as like a COVID refugee in order to get her children an actual education. And when she got to the school district, she called them and said, do you have room? And they were like, we're public school. Yeah, we're that's kind of, we make room because that's literally our entire job. And her brain just exploded. She could not believe that the school would just educate her. And there was no hoops to jump through. There was nothing. The New York city school system is just so irrevocably broken um, that people, people outside of New York city just cannot comprehend how bad it is. It's crazy. And it's gotten worse yesterday, the day before when our esteemed mayor de Blasio uh, announced really getting rid of the, the gifted and talented programs, which is yes. you know something hopefully the next mayor, you know, won't follow through on. Um, but this is just gutting. I, I, this is, this is going to be 
the end of people living in New York City, I think. For I think that's right. I mean, you know, when, it, when you destroy the schools, you destroy the city. Yeah. And yeah. now and we've it's, destroyed... It's not just... I'm sorry, I just interrupted you again. No, no, no. It's, it's, it's private. It's public. Yeah. It's a selective schools. Yep. It is absolutely destroying. My husband is... Um, is a very smart guy, like him a lot. Um, but he was extremely disruptive in his K through 12 experience because he was bored out of his mind. So yeah. people kind of think about like gifted and talented as you're just sort of, you're giving, um, you're giving smart kids and rich kids, um, a, a separate and non-equal education in the public school system, but it's not true. I mean, it's, it's a part of our duty to children is to educate them according to their needs. And, my husband was one of these kids who was not afforded a gifted and talented education. And he became an insane, uh, behavioral problem as a result. Um, and this is, this is going to happen in all of New York city. When you put all of these smart kids in the schools, bored out of their minds, you're going to have a lot of behavioral issues. Yeah. No question. I mean, I, I kind of, I grew up in New Jersey, went through public schools, mediocre public schools, decent public schools, and I didn't have behavioral issues, but was also bored out of my mind, you know, in a, in a, in a regular public school, but that's exactly right. Yeah. I mean, this is, yeah. we, we, we do it all with to all the kids to give them a good education, but from, from a societal standpoint, uh, we have got to educate what, you know, what would be the sort of future leaders of our country. And we're not, yeah. we're not going to do that now. And we're not doing that in the private schools, which was yep. the one, you know, which was the refugees for, you know, for, and, you know, again, these private schools, yes, the tuition is the $57,000 a year, but they do give a lot of financial aid. A lot of kids are on scholarship. So it's not just for the very, very wealthy. It's a lot of <laughs> for the very, yeah. very wealthy New Yorkers, but it's not only for that. Uh, but now we've sort of destroyed everything which I commend you for homeschooling for that reason. We considered it. I mean, I'm curious about how you, have you, would you always planning to do that or was that something that you No, 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 no. I, I think that this is honestly, we should probably devote a whole other yeah. episode to this, but um, the short of it is no, I never for a minute before we had kids thought of homeschooling. Um, and then when, when my oldest uh, was a toddler, I started like just looking at you know, all of the local Jewish day schools because we're Orthodox Jewish and we didn't want to send to public schools um, for a number of reasons, um, ideological and just sort of um, logistical. Like we didn't want all of her friends to not be kosher Jews because then all of their birthday parties are on Saturdays and it just becomes complicated and not fun. So, um, so I started looking at the schools and I was like, honestly, not super impressed with the schools that were around us. And then I started looking at the tuition page and I was just blown away in New New Jersey, where we were living. It was in the thirties for school when everything was said and done, maybe the, maybe the twenties, but I think the thirties, honestly. Um, and I just, I mean, we had one, I think we had two kids by that point and we wanted more. And I kind of looked at my husband and said, like, this is birth control. If, if you want to have, you know, we have five now, if you want to have a litter, which is what we wanted, um, we can't do this. And they're going to hold us hostage financially, um, with financial aid, we're going to have to make a lot of, um, what I think are irresponsible financial decisions about our retirement and our savings and our kids college accounts in order to pay this beast. That is the private school system. And I didn't want to do it. And at the time I was sort of following all of these, like sort of moms on Instagram, um, who, uh, who had big litters and, and a lot of them homeschooled. And so I sort of got a window into the Christian homeschooling world and I was like, Oh wow, that sounds 
lovely. Um, and now, I mean, we're in our third year. My oldest is in second grade and we're homeschooling officially two kids. I have a second grader and a first grader. Um, and it's amazing. We love it. Um, it's right now we're taping this at 1030 and my kids are basically done with school for the day. Um, my daughter still has to do math and it's a game. That's, that's math today is playing a game and I have to figure out what the game is right. and how to play it. So that'll be you know, like 15, 20 minutes of my time, but we're, I mean, we're done and it's really nice. And then we're going to go, the kids are going to play at the playground and do Taekwondo and they do a couple zoom classes in the afternoon for Jewish stuff. Um, but it's just like a really nice laid back, uh, way of educating them that I have total control over, which I love. Yeah. Do you think you'll do this indefinitely? I mean, is that your plan or you think at some point you'd like to put them in? I do. I, I, I love how our lives are structured. It's so flexible with our day-to-day lives. And also, um, over the course of the school year, we can go on vacation whenever we want, whenever there's, you know, a deal, we can just go. Um, and my husband and I both sort of have un a little bit of untraditional, um, unconventional careers. And so, um, and, you know, if one of us goes on a book tour, the kids can come with us and, you know, all of those things, it's really nice. Um, and it's really awesome that I, I recently learned that, um, if you homeschool in high school, at least where we live, but I think many other places too, you can take community college classes at the same time. And so it's possible to graduate high school with an associate's degree. Hmm. Interesting. Very, very fun. So I have, I have a friend who, uh, she's homeschooling. She is pregnant with her eighth child and she had similar sort of, uh, concerns about her tuition. And, um, and so she pulled all of her kids out and she has a range from almost a newborn. So she's doing a couple months to high school and her high schoolers are doing this. They're doing the community college thing and they're really having a great time. They're taking Latin, they're taking all of these college classes that and they're community college classes. So they're not being indoctrinated. It's like real actual education. And, um, and it's saving everybody money and her kids feel invested and engaged and they're loving it. And she runs an in-home preschool program that my two-year-old and four-year-old do. And her kids are also learning, um, her kids, her older kids are helping her run it. And so they're learning about educational pedagogy. They're learning about bookkeeping, um, they're looking about, they're learning about bureaucracy because they have to pass all of the county hurdles. Um, and so her kids are getting this like amazing real world experience. Um, whereas they would just be sitting in a classroom, probably pretty bored. Pretty bored. Yeah. No, we wanted a homeschool. That was really my intention when we pulled our daughter out of Brearley. And she, you know, being a 12, now almost 13 year old girl really wanted to be with other kids. And, you know, we only have one, so we don't have the camaraderie of having siblings doing this together, which I think makes it harder. But that was my original intent um, was either to homeschool or to try to find a little pod to, you know, like-minded families that we could, you know, hire some really good teachers and do that. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a popular thing in the Cambridge area. They, they have, um, they have Harvard students as tutors and it's like, you know, this, um, aging education at the hands of Harvard students. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I find that, um, the social part is the biggest challenge for us and it's just an inordinate amount of time on my part trying to put together, play dates and classes. Um, and it's, it takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of effort, but the nice thing is, um, that I get to choose who my kids are friends with more or less. Um, we're not sort of stuck with whoever's in a classroom 
And so, um, the, like the nasty girl that I'm like, I don't, I don't want right. you rubbing off on my kid. She doesn't, which is nice. Yeah. So my daughter's in a new school. It's a little Montessori school, K through eight oh, in New nice. Jersey that we, we found, I actually got introduced to it through a friend when we were looking, I'm, I want to start a school. I mean, that's one of the things I really want Ooh. to do. And this school had a really interesting history curriculum has absolutely zero CRT. And so we found this really to talk about her curriculum and then said, Hey, maybe this is a good idea for our daughter. And that's where we wound up sending her, uh, but it's co-ed. So she is actually with boys for the first time having gone to an all-girls school from kindergarten, at least the first time since preschool, and uh, actually even going to an all-girls camp up in Maine. Um, so this is, I think, this is a good experience for her now. She's finally getting a co-ed, in addition to a real education, yeah. which she was no longer getting sort of a really, uh, but having sort of a co-ed. She just got invited to her first football game. And I'm not sure if it's a date or not. I should Ooh. not embarrass her, but um, and maybe it's not. Um, but her first football game with, with uh, I think, two other boys. Um, well, but you, you just wrote a, you just wrote a piece, I think, about more fam- moms that are looking for more flexibility, you know, giving all the COVID yeah. stuff and homeschooling. Are you seeing a lot more interest? I mean, you hear this, that there seems to be, again, because COVID now because of CRT, a lot more interest in homeschooling and homeschooling co-ops and pods. I mean, is that something that you're seeing in the community? So I live in sort of a weird community because everyone is Orthodox Jewish. And so, um, but I will say um, two, three years ago, um, when we were first starting out, it was next to impossible for me to put together an art class of other Orthodox kids in the neighborhood to do like a homeschool middle of the day art class. And now um, we have I think 20, 25 kids in the neighborhood that are homeschooled. So there's, um, there's five or six families that are homeschooling now, whereas there was just two or three. Um, but everyone has a bunch of kids. So, you know, we do, we put an art together in our class and we instantly fill it with, you know, just a couple families. Um, but sort of more broadly in the community, yes, there, there is. And, and the data sort of bears that out also. Um, the, I mean, I think, I think it's, COVID, I think it's CRT, but I think also people just, we, we read a lot about how difficult it was. And, and, and I don't want to discount the fact that Zoom school was extremely difficult, but I think that there was a sizable portion of people who decided I can do this better because yeah. I could, yeah. anything is pretty much better than Zoom school. And they realized like, oh, this is actually fun and enjoyable. And once you sort of, um, you have to have a, a, a mind shift about your kid's education. And once you sort of realize that you can do it and it doesn't have to be a certain way, um, when the number one question that I get from people is, do they just send you a curriculum? And the answer is no. Um, it is, uh, we, we put it together ourselves and what the state and the county require is basically um, you have to educate your child within math for one year. Mm-hmm. And they don't tell you what that is or what they have to learn. Um, and so it's incredibly freeing. Um, we can sort of tailor our kids' education to their their needs and their interests. Um, it's It can be intimidating, especially when you have more than one kid, to sort of piece that together. Um, but once you find your groove, it's amazing. And everyone is is a lot happier. Um, you don't have to sort of make the kid fit in the box. You can build the box around the kid. Right. Um, and it's really nice. Um, so I, I think that, um, I think that a lot of people sort of had that realization that, um, if they wanted to be in charge and they wanted to put in the work, it would pay off. Well, we're certainly seeing more people dissatisfied with public schools. Yeah. Yeah. And I, think, they're... <laughs> I think a lot of that is because they saw what they were getting. Yeah. 
getting, not getting and getting. Yeah. Which is both. So, so should we talk about sort of the news of the week? Yeah. Yeah. Which is so, domestic terrorism. We're all, all us. <laughs> are you, are you going to school board meetings? Are you a domestic terrorist or not quite yet? I am technically not a domestic terrorist trying to fight this in the private school world. Okay. Uh, but, but I, but I, you know, I think I've been adopted into the domestic terrorism, you know, organization here. So I guess we should explain what we're talking about. I'm sure yeah. a lot of people know about this, but, um, I'll read, I guess, a couple of sentences from a letter that was written on September 29th from the national school board association, which was, uh, to the honorable Joseph R. Biden, president of the United States, dear Mr. President, America's public schools and its education leaders are under an immediate threat. And you'll notice how many times, I'm not going to read a lot of this, but how many times I use the word threat, right? The NSBA respectfully asks for federal law enforcement and other assistance to deal with the growing number of threats of violence and acts of intimidation occurring across the nation. It goes on to say that many public school officials are also facing physical threats because of, and here we go, propaganda purporting the false inclusion of critical race theory within classroom instruction and curricula. This propaganda continues despite the fact that critical race theory is not taught in public schools and remains a complex law school and graduate school subject well beyond the scope of a K-12 class. They go on to ask for the U.S. Department of Homeland Security, the FBI, the U.S. Department of Justice, et cetera, to get involved, to use the Patriot Act. Um, and then finally, I'll say, as these acts of malice, violence, and threats against public school officials have increased, the classification of these heinous actions could be the equivalent to a form of domestic terrorism and hate crimes. So all of us that are fighting the CRT issues, and they talk a little about mask issues as well, are now considered domestic terrorists. And then the Attorney General uh, Garland came out with a letter on October 4th, a memo saying that they, he would ask the FBI working with the U each United States attorney to convene meetings, et cetera, to discuss strategies for addressing these threats, uh, against school administrators and board members. So this is sort of an escalation from the government of what has been going on. If we've seen that, you know, when my letter came out six months ago now, this wasn't really yet in the news. Sort of the whole CRT issue was really not yet in the news. And then it exploded um, both, you know, sort of politically become this big political issue. And then with parents getting involved and going to school board meetings and and uh, and, you know, it's, it's become this big issue. But this, this is really an escalation from the government of this. I don't know if you have what you, what you think about it. Yeah, I mean, I think it definitely is. I think that um, I think that they're they're scared. Um, they saw sort of. Um, they saw the level of anger. And, and I think that there, I mean, there's some, there's some actions that people took that, you know, are not great. Um, I don't love the protesting outside people's homes, just in general, not okay with people protesting outside people's homes, no matter what they're protesting. Um, so there was some of that, but I think that, um, I think that schools and teachers and boards and all these things, they wanted to have their cake and eat it too. They wanted to teach, whatever they wanted. And they wanted to hold everybody's kids hostage. And then they also didn't want to work for a year and a half. And also then they wanted to decide that they didn't have to get a vaccine, but the children might have to get a vaccine. And then also we, because um, we feel unsafe. I mean, a lot of this is a lot of the CRT stuff is based on feelings and it's so ambiguous and it's so, uh, it's so hard to sort of quantify and grasp. So according to their feelings, they have to, uh, 
they ha- the kids have to wear masks and I feel safer when kids wear masks, all of those things. Um, and so they wanted to have all of these demands, but now they're sort of like, what? You're, you're upset by my, my wanting to control your children's like literally every breath. Um, and, um, and so they're trying to scare people into silence. And, um, I, I think the answer, I mean, I think the answer, um, to all of the last year and a half, um, there's so many things that have happened in the last year and a half is to just stop listening and stop complying and to fight yeah. back. Um, and that, I mean, that's why we called this podcast, take back our schools because it's time to take back all of the schools, public and private. Um, because this is, um, this is crazy. And, um, I, I'd be curious to see, so under this sort of assumption that, okay, we're all terrorists because we don't like this indoctrination. So what's the next step? The FBI comes to your house. Right. Do I think, what do I think the FBI, I know FBI agents, they agree by the way. Um, what are they going to do? Right. <laughs> they just like sh- show up at your house and be like, Hey, I, I, I don't understand what the next step is um, because at every point in this process, they assume that they have a buy-in. And so I'm sort of, I'm looking at what's happening right now with the vaccine mandate. Yes. Um, yes. And um, they assumed they had buy and they, I don't even know if they cared. They had buy-in. I, don't, I, I was going to say, say I don't know if they yeah. cared either. I think they're just pushing this, this incredible divisiveness, right? We saw yeah. this with that Biden speech yeah. over the vaccine yeah. mandates where it's really put, you know, pulling, you know, the vaccinated versus the unvaccinated yeah. against each other. And now we're seeing it here with, you know, the, the pro public school, pro, you know, teachers yep. union, pro CRT versus. And what I don't think they realize is um, the fact that the vaccinated, I, if, if we're like, dividing ourselves into camps. I am in the vaccinated camp. I'm not okay with these mandates and I am cheering on these Southwest pilots and these Amtrak engineers and all of these people who are like, yeah, by the way, showed up at work. Thank you very much for the last year and a half for putting your butts on the line when it was scary. Um, so I, I think that what they don't anticipate and sort of circling back to the education debate, I'm a homeschool parent. You're a private school parent. I am now suddenly extremely motivated to show up at public school board meetings. Yes. So, this is counterproductive, right? Which yes. is a good thing. I, I, and I, do, I was going to say that, which is I think that this has like almost everything governments do generally, but certainly everything that this administration seemingly has done has the exact opposite effect of what they intend. Yeah. And I've yeah. talked to this because I know a lot of the I know a lot of the heads of organizations that are fighting these CRT issues, especially in, in public schools. And this is motivating to families. Mm-hmm. This is yeah. absolutely going to drive more people to these school board meetings. This is not going to have the intent that they wanted, which is to bully and silence these parents yeah. to stop fighting this. This is going to have the exact opposite. Uh, and I don't, I'm, that was the one I was going to ask you, are you surprised that they would do this? And, and I was going to say the exact same thing, which is, you know, the divisiveness that this administration seemingly keeps showing. Um, yeah. But I don't think they thought this through because yeah, I, I don't think either. that they realize that this has, this is going to have the opposite intent. Yeah. And I, I think that they thought that people would sort of divide themselves into camps naturally. So it's sort yeah. of like circling back to the vaccine thing, because we have, you know, actual numbers on how many people are vaccinated versus unvaccinated more than half the country is vaccinated. What I think they didn't anticipate was the number of people who like myself 
were not super thrilled at the, the thought of getting COVID. I, I do not desire it. And so that was what motivated me to get the vaccine. Um, but that, that doesn't automatically enlist me in their war as right. one of these vaccinated soldiers against um, people who I am incredibly grateful that they showed up at work every day yeah. and that we could, in our family, order Instacart for a year. I, I don't want to now require Instacart employees uh, who kept my family fed for a year to be vaccinated. I don't care what you do. I mean, the likelihood is, and this is, I think, the behind a lot of the opposition, um, they've all had COVID already because they were out yeah. there. Um, so it's the chutzpah to require them to do it when they've already had it. Um, and so I think that they, they think that they have... Um, sort of natural allies that they do not have. Yeah, and, I think that's um, right. and this is, you know, this is what happens when you don't talk to people. Yeah. Or don't listen. Yeah. One or the other. Yeah. I saw a great tweet. There was a tweet a few weeks ago when New York city put on the, the mandate, we have to have uh, show the vaccine card to go into a restaurant and someone tweeted, I don't remember who, you know, let me get this straight. So all the people that supported restaurants for in the last 18 months, when these other people were hiding in their, you know, in their apartments, not going to restaurants, you're telling them they can't go to a restaurant now and all the people that were hiding in their living rooms and not going outside and not supporting restaurants. Now you're welcoming them in, but does this make a whole lot of sense? Um, But there is this devices. I mean, this is scary. I mean, I'll go back. I don't know if you saw the um, Virginia gubernatorial debate. Uh, I think it was about I a heard week a lot or two about ago. it, but I didn't watch it. Yeah, where um, I didn't watch it either. But, you know, th- this is sort of encapsulates what's going on with the school issue, which is yeah. I think Glenn Youngkin said something like, you know, parents need to speak up for their schools. And then Terry McAuliffe said, I, th- I don't I think, well, I don't think parents should be telling schools what to teach. Yeah. I mean, these are sort of irreconcilable yes. differences here. And it really gets to this fundamental issues of, you know, does the government control your children yeah. <laughs> and these schools or do parents control, you know, responsible for their children and for what is taught in these schools. I mean, this is a part of a much broader, you know, cultural debate here. Mm -hmm. That that Terry McAuliffe um, quote is going to be just nonstop wall to wall in all the ads. Um, And it motivated, I have friends who, um, you know, are politically sort of moderate, lean to the right. Um, They're like, I will I will now be door knocking yeah. <laughs> because it's terrifying to think that the state thinks they own your child. And he yeah. made crystal clear that that's what he thinks um, to which I'm like, so are you, are you buying re- us groceries? Like, are you waking up in the middle of the night at 3am with the vomits? We call <laughs> them the vomit sickies. Right. Um, so it's, um, and this is sort of, this is what scares them about homeschoolers is that we, don't get a curriculum from the right. state and um, and we uh, do our own thing. And I think that's, what's going to motivate more families to be like, you know what? You're right. You don't think that I should have any say. So I'm out. Peace out. Yeah. But then the question is, are the teachers unions going to lobby the blue state governments yes. from going after making it even more difficult to homeschool or to set up, you know, micro schools or co-ops yep. or ponds? I mean, you see that kind of coming down the pipeline. Yeah, 100 percent. Um, and that's why we are members of the Homeschool Legal Defense Association. It is a behemoth organization that is growing ever larger because a lot of people are of the same mind I am that um, we need a legal uh, entity to cover our butts. Yes, and protect sure. our rights legislative, legislatively and then also on a family-by-family family level. Um, and that's what they do. That's their entire purpose. Um, 
And I, I wish that we had something like that, but for, you know, private school parents too, maybe that can be, you know, one of the things on your to-do list. Yeah, actually I'm involved with the, with a group called Parents Unite, which was, ex- that was their original idea was to sort of form a union for private school parents. Love it. Yeah. I mean, what we have found, you know, it's interesting because I've, I've talked a lot about this is, you know, the issues in public schools and private schools are the same with what's going on with this, you know, for lack of a better word, the CRT stuff, but the fight is different. And the private school fight is much, much harder because you don't have all the legal protections. You can't file Freedom of Information Act requests. Um, and, you know, and because parents are so terrified to speak up, uh, it, it, it's a much harder fight. And we have not made the progress in the private school world that I hope. So hopefully that's, yeah. I don't know if they're solvable. I don't know if they're fixable. I hope they are, but we need to build new schools. And that's something that I think we can talk about yeah. <laughs> on, on future, future, episode. future episodes. Yeah. So this was fun. I think yeah, it was. Thank you for, for doing this. Yeah. Talk more about schools. Yeah. Um, I will put the blanket apology that um, our, my baby will be present for. Most. That's okay. That's okay. <laughs> I'll try to get my daughter here too. If she wants to, I don't go. know if she wants to be. It'll be a whole parade. We'll end with this happy indigenous people's day. Thank you very much. I don't know how you feel about that. Of Columbus Day. We can talk about that another time. Uh, But we'll talk again soon about how we take back our schools. Awesome. Thanks. Okay. Bye.